and open your Bibles one last time to the book of Malachi. We'll finish our series through Malachi this evening. We'll be looking at a whole entire chapter tonight, chapter four, but don't worry, it's six verses, so it's not a very long chapter. As you're turning there, I'll give you a little bit of Bible trivia. If you were to go into my office and open the book of Malachi uh, out of my Hebrew Old Testament, you might be shocked to see that there is no chapter 4 in the Hebrew Bible. Don't worry, that doesn't mean that chapter 4 isn't there or that it doesn't belong, but you remember that chapters and verses are not inspired. They were put there by men to help us uh, quickly find those places in Scripture that we want to get to. Well, In our English Bibles, we have chapter 4 to help us quickly get to these six verses. In the Hebrew Bible, there's just chapter 3. So it continues from where we ended last week all through what we have as chapter 4. And that's appropriate because what we're looking at this evening uh, follows very closely on uh, both uh, logically and, and thematically from what we looked at last week. So we'll read together. Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This is the word of the Lord. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But... For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this book of Malachi, for this prophecy which you gave to your people Israel and which you have given to us. Lord, we thank you that we have your word. We have it for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness that we might be thoroughly equipped. We pray, O Lord, that you would use your word tonight to instruct us, to teach us, to reprove us, to equip us thoroughly, to point us to Christ. We ask in his name. Amen. Men. Well, I'm not sure if I know everyone's last name here tonight. So if this is your last name, please don't be offended. I find this to be a very fascinating last name. But how would you like it or what would you think if your last name was Wigglesworth? We all chuckle a little bit. It might seem a little strange to our ears But there's many people throughout history whose names have been Wigglesworth. One in particular was a Puritan pastor, theologian, physician, actually, and poet. 
in New England during the 17th century. So he lived in the, the 1600s. This Michael Wigglesworth wrote a poem that he had published in 1662. The poem is called The Day of Doom, a poetical description of the great and last judgment. It's an incredibly long poem, 224 stanzas. And when it was first published, it was one of the most popular uh, books in New England. Everybody knew about Michael Wigglesworth. Everybody knew about this poem. One in 20 people bought the published work. Well, in this poem, Wigglesworth wrote, as I said, 224 stanzas warning unrepentant people of the coming judgment when Christ would return. He, he warned false professors, people who said they were Christians, but uh, did not have a true and lively faith. He warned them of the coming judgment. And he, he wrote this poem to encourage believers of the glory of Christ's return, to, to stir them up. Well, 224 stanzas is uh, quite a bit of reading to do, especially concerning the, the return of Christ. About 400 years earlier, prophet Malachi wrote, what is this, three verses? About the same day. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Some 400 years before Michael Wigglesworth wrote the day of doom, the prophet Malachi prophesied to Israel concerning the day of the Lord. This is the final thing which prophets of the Old Testament proclaimed to the people of Israel before there was a 400 year or so silent period before the coming of Christ. And in this last final portion of, of Malachi's prophecy to the people of Israel, he reminds them the Lord is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. Be prepared. Be prepared. The Lord will return. The day of the Lord will bring with it uh, certain things. And so in light of that, Malachi says, be ready. Be ready for Christ's return. That's the way we could put it now. And that's how we will look at this text this evening that uh, this prophecy tells us that the day of the Lord is coming, be prepared. So we'll look at it under two different headings. First, in verses one through three, we'll see that the day of the Lord is coming and what the day of the Lord brings with it. Verses one through three, very briefly. And then in verses four through six, we will see that we should be prepared. We'll see how the Lord prepares his people. How Malachi told the people they ought to be prepared. Very simple, what the day of the Lord brings, one through three, how the Lord prepares his people, four through six. And, and in this, I think we'll, we'll see glorious things concerning the Lord, glorious things concerning Christ, glorious things concerning the return of God and, and how he prepares his people for Christ's return. So with that in mind, let's turn our attention to the word of God and see what he says, especially about what the day of the Lord brings. In verses one through three, we read these words. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. 
The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord says simply here, uh, there's two things which the day of the Lord brings. It brings judgment for God's enemies, and it brings joy for God's people. Look at verse one. We see there that the day of the Lord brings judgment for God's enemies. God says, behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. Here the Lord says that the day of the Lord brings a judgment to his enemies and it's a certain judgment. He says it's coming burning like an oven. Now, when we read the word oven, we might be thinking something along the lines of that oven which you have in your kitchen in which maybe you bake tasty treats, pies, breads, things of that nature. But when Malachi speaks of an oven here, he doesn't mean the kind of oven that you have in your kitchen. Rather, he's speaking of something along the lines of a furnace, something along the lines of an incinerator, something which a people would use to burn garbage and trash. You know that if your trash isn't taken to a landfill, it might be thrown in an incinerator, something which will quickly burn it up and dispose of all of it. That is what Malachi speaks of here. He says, the day of the Lord for those who hate the Lord, those who are the Lord's enemies, it will come like, like an oven, like a furnace, like an incinerator. It will be certain that the judgment will come upon God's enemies. This furnace, this incinerator is, is the kind of thing that a farmer would use to burn weeds and chaff. And you, you remember in uh, Christ's parable about the, the wheat and the chaff, uh, at that last day, the, the wheat and the chaff are separated and the chaff is all burned up. Or the weeds, the tares, excuse me, are all burned up. Well, that's the same thing which, which is happening here. God says that his enemies will all be burned up in this incinerator. The arrogant and the evildoer will be stubble. Now, Malachi, when he calls these people arrogant and evildoers, he's not talking about two different groups of people, but rather one group of people who are characterized by two things, arrogance and wickedness. Arrogance in that they say, we don't need the Lord. We can do things our own way. Uh, we don't want God. We want ourselves God rewards wickedness. God rewards uh, evildoing, as they've said previously in, in chapter 2 and 3. So they say, we don't want him. We want to depend all on ourselves. And so they're arrogant. They, they say, we, we can depend on ourselves. We don't need God. We don't need his help. And, and so because of that, they do evil. They disregard the Lord's law. They say, if we're going to do our own thing, it doesn't really matter what we do. If God says, don't have any other gods before me. Well, we can ignore that. We'll worship whatever God rewards us the best. If God says, don't steal, we'll just ignore that. We'll take whatever we want, whenever we want, so that we can get ahead. These people who are enemies of God, who, who reject the Lord, who reject his Messiah, 
are arrogant and evildoers because they depend on themselves and they do only what they want. And for them, there will be a certain judgment. And there will also be a swift judgment. You know, chaff, stubble, straw, burns up very quickly. If you throw a piece of paper in a fire, it's consumed very quickly. The same thing with the evildoers. There will be stubble, Malachi says. When they're thrown into this furnace, when they're thrown into this incinerator, they're consumed Instantly, the judgment of God upon these people is, is swift on the last day. The great judge of men doesn't need to, to sit there and deliberate. He doesn't need to look at people and say, well, I don't know. Are you guilty or not? I can't really tell. No, the Lord knows the thoughts of men, he knows all of their deeds, he knows their hearts, he, he knows who, has, who have been clothed in, in the righteous robes of Christ. He knows who his children are and, and he knows who his enemies are. And so he can and he will, Malachi says, make swift judgment. The day is coming when the evildoers will be burned up in an oven like stubble burned up like stubble in an oven. And so it's a certain judgment, it's a swift judgment, and it's a complete judgment, Malachi says. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Malachi uses uh, an image here under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of, of a complete thing, a whole thing, a, a tree, both in its roots up to its very tallest branches. The whole thing, roots, trunk, limbs, branches, all is consumed. The Lord says he will destroy the evildoers, the arrogant, root and branch, the whole thing from top to bottom in its entirety. It's a complete judgment that God brings upon his enemies. This is quite sobering, isn't it? Just one verse here in this chapter so far, and we see really the awesome majesty of, of God, how, uh, how seriously he takes sin, how, how seriously he takes rejection of Christ. We see the great justice of God. The, the great lawgiver has said, here is what I want men to do. Here is my holy law. It's perfect. Obey it. And when men break that holy law, the great judge justly can and will say on that last day, you have broken the law. You will receive punishment. And that is for those who are not righteous in his sight. But... And Malachi uses the word but here, which is a glorious and comforting word. There's a group of people who do not receive this judgment. Namely, those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. The people of the Lord, those who fear the Lord. This day does not bring judgment for them, but rather it brings joy. Look at verse 2 and 3. The Lord through Malachi says, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness 
shall rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. You shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. So the day of the Lord is a day of judgment, but it's also a day of joy. We who are in Christ, we who, who look to the Savior need not fear this day, this final day of the Lord because we need not fear judgment. Our judgment has been taken by the Lamb of God upon the cross, the Son of righteousness has risen with healing in its wings. God says, for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This is taken by, by many people throughout history to be a, a reference to Christ. Christ, who's God of God and, and light of light. Christ, the, the glory of the Father made manifest to men. We sing about this uh, in that uh, Advent hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. We, Charles Wesley, when he wrote that, referenced explicitly Malachi. He speaks of, Hail the Son of Righteousness, risen with healing in his wings. Christ. Christ brings healing. And you notice it says the Son of Righteousness. This refers to the righteous one who will bring about or produce righteousness in his people. Christ, the righteous one, clothes us in his righteousness, makes us acceptable in God's sight, justifies us, and is sanctifying us, and will, will glorify us on the last day. So the righteous one brings healing in his wing. By his stripes, we are healed, are we not? So this... Christ comes for all who fear the Lord. For those who turn and look to the Savior of men, there is healing, spiritual healing. And because of that, we have great joy. Christ's work frees us, and it brings us great joy. Malachi uses this, this excellent picture of calves leaping when they're released from the stall. The people of God have great joy. Great joy now in Christ. Yes, great joy at the return of Christ on this final day. Now, I've actually never seen uh, a calf let out of a stall before. I have seen dogs let out of their kennels before, and I imagine it's probably something uh, along the same lines. I imagine that a calf let out from the stall does not gloomily sit there and say to himself, yeah, I guess I'm free, but so what? <laughs> no. No, that calf goes out into the field and he says, I have my freedom. And he frolics and he plays and, and he delights in the green grass and he delights in the blue sky and I think probably brings great glory to his maker in doing that. Malachi uses this picture to describe those who who've been healed by the son of righteousness. They go out leaping taking joy in the God of their salvation, rejoicing. And, and so we should be. We will be exceedingly joyful on that day when our Savior returns, for we will see him face to face. But, but even now, we can and we should be joyful, shouldn't we? Now, we have many circumstances in life that I think sometimes uh, cause us to think, well, how can I be joyful? We have, we have sickness in this life. Uh, we experience uh, death of loved ones. 
We experience hardships, financial hardships, uh, personal hardships, all sorts of things. And, and sometimes I, I think, we think, well, how can I be joyful now? How can we be joyful even now? We can, first of all, think of the son of righteousness. We can think of, of all of those graces and blessings which we have in Christ we can remember the Savior who loved us so much that he, he gave his life for us. And in thinking of him, how can we not begin to, to feel the stirrings of joy in our heart? We can think of, of those passages in Scripture that render great praise to the Lord. We can look at the Psalms and see David who, who experienced all manner of hardships. Saul was coming after him, trying to take his life. And David, though he experienced those hardships, yet said, Hope in God, for I will yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. David took great joy in, in his Lord and his Savior, knowing that his future son, the Messiah, was coming to, to save his people. And so we too can take joy in, in the Lord by, by reading his word and seeing all those things which he's done, by using the Psalms to sing and read praises back to God. And in doing so, that, I think, will stir our hearts up to be joyful. Look to Christ. Focus on Christ. Use those means which Christ has given us. And, and that even in, in trying times, the Spirit can and, and often does and will use to bring joy to our hearts, to, to cause us to take joy in the God of our salvation. The day of the Lord is a day that brings joy for God's people because the son of righteousness has come and will come. Christ's work frees us and brings us joy. And it's a day of victory in and through God. That last verse, verse three, you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. And the day when I act says the Lord of hosts through Christ, through Christ, the enemies of God, the enemies of God's people are overcome. Christ said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the gospel. Paul said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. There is victory in Christ. There will be great victory on that last day. Why? Well, because Christ is victorious. Christ rose victorious and Christ reigns victorious and Christ will return victorious and he gives his people victory as well especially victory over the world of flesh and the devil in our lives. On that day when God acts, says the Lord of hosts, there will be joy for God's people because of Christ, the victor. So that is what the day of the Lord brings. Judgment for God's enemies, joy for God's people. How ought we to prepare for that day? What does Malachi say to Israel? How are they to prepare for that day? They're to remember and they are to look. Remember and look. Verses four through six, Malachi says these things. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The Lord reminds his people and the Lord reminds us by the words of Malachi that we are to uh, remember. Remember what Moses wrote, he says. In this, we see that the Lord 
prepares his people for that day through his word. In his word, remember, the Malachi uses here, remember the law of my servant Moses, doesn't just mean to uh, have something memorized. It doesn't just mean that you think of the Bible. It doesn't just mean that you say, okay, I have the Ten Commandments memorized and I have the Lord's Prayer memorized and I have Romans 8.28 memorized. Those are good things. But when God says to remember in his word, it's not just looking back and thinking about God's word, about God's law, but it's acting on what you remember. It's, it's taking action. It's remembering that God has said all of these things in the Ten Commandments. And so on humble reliance on the Holy Spirit, we will endeavor to do what God has commanded us to do. It means that when God says, repent and believe the gospel, we cry out, Lord, give us repentance and give us faith in Christ. We take hold of, of Christ and his promises. When God says, remember, he says, think about what I have said and take the appropriate action in response to it. And this is why it's so important for us to hide God's word in our hearts, not just to have the words of scripture memorized. That is a good thing. And we all, I think, ought to, to endeavor to memorize more scripture, but, but to meditate on it, to think about it, to, to mull it over, to chew on it, over and over again to think about what God has said and, and, and then seek to do it, to, to say, Lord, help me to do all of these things, uh, to talk about it with one another, to discuss scripture, to discuss sermons that we hear, to take it all in and, and make it a part of our lives, not just a, an act of rote memorization, something which we might do with or multiplication tables or something, but, but to make it part of, of who we are, what we are, how we are. So I would encourage you and, and exhort you to, to seek to memorize more scripture and meditate on more scripture and make it more a part of your life. To remember it. God says, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. See, this wasn't just the words of, of Moses that Moses randomly came up with and gave to the people of Israel, but this is God's word that he gives. And in reminding his people <clears throat> through Malachi to remember the law of Moses, God says essentially, uh, remember and obey the covenant which I have given the law of Moses is the covenantal obligations of God's people, that agreement which God made. He said, do this and, and you will receive blessings, covenant blessings, which uh, in a few weeks in our morning reading, we'll read about in Deuteronomy 28. So God says that uh, this is covenantal obligation, but also in telling his people to remember the law of his servant Moses, God is pointing forward to Christ. Remember what Jesus said, all of the law and the prophet speaks of me. So in remembering the law of Moses, remembering the ordinances, remembering the sacrifices, remembering the festivals, all of God's people were, were to keep in mind all of these things which would point them forward to the coming Messiah, to keep that in their minds as, as they prepared for his coming, as they watched for his coming. The word of God given to them through Moses was to remind them and point them to 
Christ, even as God's word now points us to Christ. We should look to see Christ in in all of scripture. When we read it, we should say, how does this remind me of Christ? How does it point me to Christ? Where is Christ? I want to see him. That's what God's word does for us. And that's how God prepares his people in his word by directing them to Christ, directing them to Christ, reminding them of Christ. So God tells his people, remember what Moses wrote. I'll prepare you through my word. But then he says, look, says, look for Elijah. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Look for Elijah. Who are the people to look for? Well, Elijah was after Moses, uh, considered the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He was uh, the paradigm of the prophet, as it were. Moses gave God's law to the people. Elijah is the one who began to preach God's word to God's people in his role as a prophet. Now, there were other prophets before Elijah, certainly, but he is the one who really began uh, to exemplify the office of a prophet in the Old Testament. And so God says to to look for Elijah, not a resurrected Elijah or a a redescended Elijah since Elijah was uh, taken up to heaven in the fiery chariot, but, but to look for one who would come in the spirit of Elijah, one who would come uh, preaching the coming of the kingdom, one who would preach the need for repentance, Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. One who would prepare the people for the coming of Christ. One who said, look for Christ. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, from your knowledge of scripture, I'm sure you all know who it was who came in the spirit of Elijah. Christ said, John the Baptist was a fulfillment of this prophecy. In, In Matthew 4, he says, that if you can receive it, John was Elijah who is to come. So John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah preaching the kingdom of heaven, preaching repentance, preaching people look to Christ. And this might raise a question in our minds. Well, Malachi here says he's going to send Elijah before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, but the great and awesome day of the Lord hasn't happened yet. What's going on there? I think one way to explain this, I think a a very helpful way to understand this is that the Old Testament gives broad prophecies of Christ's future coming. It doesn't distinguish really all that clearly between Christ's first and second coming. And so Malachi here is prophesying of, of the first coming of Christ Uh, together with this final day, this day of the Lord. And so, John, as Elijah had preceded Christ's first coming, the inauguration of the last days that we live in now, uh, but not the, the final day necessarily, the great and awesome day of the Lord Christ's return in judgment. He precedes that, certainly, as well. But in his prophecy here, 
Malachi is not necessarily saying that it's going to be uh, very neatly and uh, shortly in a line. John the Baptist would come and proclaim the coming of Messiah before Messiah's coming, and he did come. So John's preaching did what it was supposed to do. And what was the Lord going to do? What did the Lord do? What is the Lord doing now through preaching? What does he say in verse 6? He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Look for Elijah. What will he do? He'll preach. And the Lord will use that to turn the hearts of his people. This phrase is used in the Old Testament uh, typically to speak of repentance. Through the preaching of this Elijah to come, the Lord would work repentance in the hearts of his people. He would turn their hearts, fathers to children, children to fathers. Elijah would preach the need for, for covenant renewal. And so God's people, through the preaching of God's word, would be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And in the work of the Holy Spirit, their hearts would be turned, turned back to God. John preached repentance, turning from sin, turning to God, very much in the same way that Elijah preached that Israel needed to turn from their idolatry back to the true God. And the Spirit used John's preaching to bring repentance, just as he used Elijah's preaching to bring repentance in Israel during Elijah's day. And so John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah, preaching the coming of the kingdom, preaching repentance, preaching for people to look to Christ who would come. And God gives preaching now to prepare us for the great and awesome day of the Lord. And while preachers are not uh, Elijah, Per se, I don't think Matt or myself would make that claim at all. Preachers do have a prophetic function in that they are to point to point people to the true and living God like Elijah. That they are to expound God's word, proclaiming to people the glories of God. They are to point to Christ, point to the, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world like John did. So God uses his word, which points us to Christ, and he uses the preaching of his word to point us to Christ. That's how he prepares his people for Christ's return. He prepared his people through his word and through the proclamation of his word, and he even now prepares his people through his word and the proclamation of his word. And this is so wonderfully helpful, isn't it? The Lord is the one who does this work. The Lord is the one who prepares us for his coming. He says, remember the law, but then he says, it's the law that I commanded. I'm the one who speaks to you. He says, look for Elijah, but he says, I am the one who will save you, who will heal you, who will prosper you. The Lord prepares his people because he wants his people, those whom he loves, those who he has loved from before the foundation of the world to be prepared for his returning when they will have great joy 
and the return of their Savior and the return of Christ. He wants us to be prepared now, looking even now to the return of Christ, confident in Christ, so that we might cry out with the saints throughout time, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus, delighting in our Savior. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for this book of Malachi which you have given. Lord, we thank you that you have taught us of this day, the last day, which you will separate the sheep from the goats, which you will gather your people together, which you will glorify yourself in them. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word to prepare us. We thank you that you give to your church people to proclaim your word, to proclaim the gospel of Christ to the ends of the world so that people might look to him and be saved, to proclaim the gospel in the congregation of your people so that they might be built up and edified, pointed more and more to Christ. Father, we pray that you would use your word, that you would use the proclamation of your word to that end, to grow, to strengthen, to increase the faith of your people, to glorify yourself in all the earth. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, let's take a few moments now to meditate upon this truth of God's word. Christ is coming back. And this is, this is a glorious truth. This is a wonderful truth. The Lord will return. Let's think about this thing. Let's think about these great gifts that he has given to us to prepare us for his return, his word, the preaching of his word, as we take a few moments and meditate. <clears throat> 